Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey everyone, this is Mike Wolf, and this is the Smart Home Show. I'm sitting in a hotel room in Vegas. I'm sitting in my Bally's hotel room, and I'm about to head to the airport. But I wanted to hopefully get this podcast out before I leave, because I had wanted to podcast more, but I ended up spending most of the time out on the show floor, and I had some computer issues, and it just became the situation where it wasn't happening as fast as I wanted to. But I wanted to get this podcast out, because this podcast I did live from the show floor, at the Nova booth uh, in the Sands on Thursday, and it was a lot of fun. I had a few guests. I had with with me Richard Gunther from Home On. We had the CEO of Anova, Steve Savasian. We also had the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer from Beta, the new interesting retailer, Philip Robb. We also had Peter Taylor, heads up product for Belkin Wemo, and it was about an hour long. Uh, of course, it was from the show floor, so you have a little bit of background noise, so hopefully that isn't too bothersome for you, but hey, if you come to see us, you know how it goes. It's loud, but it wasn't too bad overall. So we had some good conversations about what each company is doing. Uh, Richard and I talked about what we're seeing, and everyone uh, had a good conversation. So I hope you enjoy this. I hope uh, if you are at CES, you uh, listen to this and uh, maybe see some of the same things we we saw, or if you saw some different things that you think I should know about, let me know via Twitter at Michael Wolf. But otherwise, it's been a fun CES 2016, everyone. Uh, expect more podcasts in the coming weeks. Uh, definitely next week as we talk more about what we saw at CES and have more great guests. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. All right. I'm happy to start the first Smart Home Show ever from CES. It's the first time I've ever done this. Uh, my first public podcasting experience was in the Target Open Concept Store. But at the time, I was feeling like I was missing something. because I didn't have Richard Gunther alongside <laughs> me, who I have next to me at uh, the CES show here today. So, Richard, uh, from Home On Podcast, one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a great show. The smart home and connected home space is bigger than it's ever been. I think we knew that was going to happen. But this is an exciting time, and, and I love seeing this space grow. We're sitting in the middle of the sands, which the sands for the super old scores during CS used to be for the porn convention. But about five years ago, it became the place for iPhone iPhone cases. I wouldn't know, Mike. <laughs> well, that was always the joke. Like, were you really at CES? But, but now it's actually the place to be. And the, the massive, the, the smart home area is really, really big. It's grown much bigger than last year. And have you been spending most of your time here? Or have you been spending time at the kind of the old stodgy area back in the traditional convention center? It's funny. When I support our blog, when I support uh, the blog that I do, I write about home audio video, and home automation. So historically, I've started over in what is typically known as Tech East, where all of the big vendors are with their big TVs yeah. and stuff like that. This is the first year where I've started, started and spent the first two days here in Tech West at the Sands. It shows you where the priorities are. Now, I started over there only because I had meetings there, but I, my, my heart was really in the Sands. Uh, I feel like that should be some sort of song. I left my heart in the sand. <laughs> but 
But I do want to get to talk about some of the categories, uh, just and maybe some of the trends you're seeing. We only have a little bit of time here, so I want to get to it quick with you. Um, one area you follow very closely, and I kind of rely on you for being an expert here, is connected lighting, smart lighting. So um, I feel like last year really was the year where it was like the pervasive category. And I feel like this year, I feel like it's scaled back a little bit only because with any market that gets saturated or like too many players, right. we've had a little bit of pullback. Not that that category isn't growing, but there's maybe not as many startups there. What are you seeing right. in smart lighting? Yeah, I think that's very accurate. You know, for for all of the vendors that were here showing lighting last year, I felt like there were a lot of Me Too products. Like there were a lot of companies trying to get into that space because they thought it was an easy entry for them. They could provide, they could find manufacturing that would be inexpensive to get products out there. And we ended up with a lot of products that just didn't make it. And so now we're seeing a more mature lighting uh, lighting environment here at the show. I was excited to see some lighting from UMI. I think you've spoken with the folks from UMI. Yep. And they have Z-Wave light bulbs. Z-Wave color controllable light bulbs. I think that's fantastic. That's I love cool. seeing that. One of my favorite vendors of Bluetooth lighting, Illumi. They're here. You can see just from the size of their booth how they've grown and evolved, and their product is nice and mature. They have products for outdoors yep. now. Yep. So I think we're seeing a maturing of the market and not so much a shaping out or a shaking up, but those companies that really with, have with good stay, products. With power. Yeah. As well as some of the big companies. I exactly. think G's here showing, I think, their light bulbs. I think maybe under the Jasco brand. Right. Um, Beyond, is Beyond here as well? Have you checked out the Beyond? I have not seen Beyond yet. I, I was very excited to see real GE Sea Life bulbs the other day. The Sea Sleep and Sea Life bulbs. In the field? In in, 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 in the wild. In the like wild. Actually <laughs> being used. In So that, that was really cool. They're due out. They were due out pretty much by now, but their manufacturing is a little bit slower than they had thought, so it, it'll probably be about February time frame. Stack lighting, not out of the picture, as many thought. In fact, they're shipping now, and they expect that they're going to have uh, a, a, a new form factor, an A19, a standard light bulb available, because remember, they had the down lights with all the sensors in yep, them yep, yep. that would act as sensors for your nest. So, uh, yeah, it's a maturing of the market, and it needed to happen. What are some of the other categories you're finding interesting? Um, I, I haven't necessarily been looking at, at connected cameras, but I feel like I can't avoid them because they're everywhere at they're the show. Uh, I think it feels like last year's lighting, this year is yep. connected cameras, That's- the pervasive category. Uh, one of the areas I actually think is I love, um, and it's probably I've told folks this who make them, uh, the connected doorbells is probably still my favorite uh, smart home node on my smart home network because I love I was literally at a meeting uh, with one company and my next meeting was Vivint and my and as I was leaving or I was about to leave my Vivint smart doorbell app rang <laughs> I was just wondering if the Vivint people were reaching down through their back end server saying Mike we have our meeting now so but <laughs> but uh, I feel like that space right now is about four big players we have Skybell we have August with theirs connected doorbell uh, we have we have Ring and we also have Vivin, which is doing a lot of really well because they actually have a lot of volume. They have like a million customers. So, right. are you looking at that space? Or are you looking more broadly at the connected uh, uh, camera space? So, I, I think you're right. I think we are at the point where we're seeing cameras everywhere. I think we're going to lose a lot of those products. I don't think next they're year all we'll come survive. back. Or, yeah, exactly. But I think the four that you mentioned are the ones that have staying power. I'm particularly fond of Ring. 
my focus is always on the customer experience with the product and the design and ability to fit into the, the decor of the space. And I feel like Ring nailed the industrial design. They have a product that I think you're going to be able to get past any chief design officer in your home that may or may not reject something that goes next to your front door. And I love what they've done. They came out with a new product, announced at CES, we've already posted about it, where it's essentially the same chassis as the Ring, but it's designed to be an external camera around your home. It's battery-operated. Sounds a lot like Arlo, maybe, but it's going to have a, a, a long it's battery life. You can mount it up. And it, it, I mean, it looks so much like the Ring. It, it obviously fits in with that family and integrates with the application, expanding what they call their ring of security around their home. So that's I love it, that. That's interesting because, I, like I said, I, I met with Viz, Vivint today, and they found that people were, kids in particular, were using their connected doorbell as a basically a bat phone to their parents. Uh, and particularly that, that particular age of kid that doesn't have a smartphone yet, maybe like 8 to 13, uh, when they can't get a hold of mom and dad, they would just go and ring the doorbell and talk to them through the doorbell. And because of that, think and they started thinking, maybe we should do the bat phone for the inside. So they, at CES this year, they've also rolled out uh, a separate uh, connected camera. And basically it sprung out of the way people were interacting with their connected doorbell. So I think that's pretty interesting because it sounds maybe... Maybe it's somewhat similar to what Ring was thinking. Or, of course, Ring is a, a company that has one product. Now they have two. Vivint has a lot of products, but I think it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, any other trends you're seeing? I, I One trend I will say I, I think is kind of an overarching trend is last year, uh, kind of everyone wanted to be in the Nest business, or at least the last two years. That was the integration that everyone wanted to have, kind of the sexy partner. I feel like this year the, the kind of the, the sexy partner is Amazon Echo, Amazon Alexa. It feels like everyone, that's kind of the must-have integration. Are you seeing that? I'm seeing that, too. I think everybody's rushing to get into the Echo environment. I'll tell you, though, what excites me is Sonos integration. Because not too many people are doing that well. Not too many companies, I think, are doing that well. And a lot of that's because Sonos doesn't make that easy unless they've kind of picked you as a choice partner. Let me tell you my favorite find here. At, at the smart home area so far. You know I'm an Insteon guy. You are. And Insteon has announced, which will be available this week, integration with Sonos. So you can include Sonos in any scene that you are using in Insteon. You can control it directly from their iOS app. And even better, I love their little keypads because for $80, you basically get a keypad that you can customize in your home. Nobody's doing anything like that at that price point, and they're going to make little keypads to be able to control buttons for that that'll let you control your Sonos through that. That, I think, is brilliant. That's a little bit of an aside. You asked about Echo. Yes, you're right. Everyone's doing the but Echo your point, thing. to your point about Sonos, I feel like I've noticed in the last six months a, a kind of a, almost a strategic shift in that they're more embracing more and more integrations. And, you know, the, that the fact that they've been integrated with Insteon, I'm assuming that's a first-party integration, not a hack. Uh, I've, I've heard other stories where they're actually opening their arms a little bit more than they used to. So I think that's maybe a factor of Sonos realizing that this connected world, they need to play a little bit, not just kind of be unto themselves. Right. Hey, well, Richard Gunther, uh, we're doing some quick turn interviews. Thank you for stopping by one of my favorite all-time smart home podcasters. Thank you very much. Thanks for stopping by, man. Good talking to you. And we're going to now welcome Steve Savasian, 
Uh, I'm going to call it the Savasian Invasion because he told me to say that. Do I ever want to remember how to say his name? Hey, Welcome, Michael. Steve. How are you? Good. Did, you, did I just hear you say Savasian Invasion? Yes. It's much better than uh, the tax evasion. Yes. Uh, uh, way to describe the name than now, Steve, that other people use. Steve, you're the CEO of Anova, and yeah. I'm really excited to be here at the Anova Culinary Booth. Uh, here in, in Sands. And for people who don't know, because I haven't had you on the podcast before, you make a connected sous vide maker. That's right. And I'm a big fan of sous vide cooking myself. And I feel like it's one of those things you have to try to know about it. Mm-hmm. So, But you have an interesting story and in why you kind of got into sous vide. So could you tell us a little bit of your background, why you embrace this sous vide thing in a big way? Yeah, so I think uh, for me personally, sous vide has played... Uh, a very important role in sort of my evolution as a home chef. Uh, growing up, not knowing how to cook, uh, and then, you know, learning about sous vide in, in sort of like the mid-2000s and, and trying it for the first time in 2010. Uh, I think the first time I cooked was for my wife, and uh, I was trying to impress my wife. Uh, uh, and it was, you know, it was simply, simply amazing to me someone who felt like they couldn't cook previously to uh to have that experience and to be able to provide for somebody like that was certainly uh just a just a real breakthrough in my life and i felt like well if other people if i have this feeling you know other people probably have this feeling and so the feeling uh of being empowered and to provide for people through food like food is something uh food in the kitchen are, are they're just such big parts of our lives right and food oftentimes is synonymous with you know, with love, and so like to be able to provide great food for somebody that I love was was certainly uh, an, an amazing feeling. Uh, and so, started to really get into it, research it. Uh, had the opportunity to take uh, a division of Anova Industries, uh, which was soon spun off as its own independent company, and we created a connected sous vide device. I think the the piece to me that sort of connected uh, uh, sous vide with sort of like you know, the smart home and the smart kitchen was this idea that you could live a lifestyle where you could wake up in the morning, you could put food in an ice bath, and then uh, and then come home to the best meal ever. Right. right. And so I think I think that's uh, there are a lot of like really super interesting themes, and, and there's a lot of richness to, to you know to that experience. Like what makes what makes the best meal ever? Right. 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 Um, and what's your best meal ever? Uh, it probably involves a big slab of meat. Um, particularly, it's like something I'm cooking, and I, yeah. I think that's probably why I like sous vide because um, ever since I've been a kid, like when you're growing up, like oh, if you're, I remember a kid at the playground saying, oh, their family eats steak. I'm thinking, like it's not that big a deal, right? But yeah. the steak has always been like this great thing for me, like, especially yeah. a great steak. So sous vide kind of go hand, goes hand in hand with that. Yeah. yeah. So um, it kind of turned on a light for me. Wow, I could do like sous vide in a cool way. Yeah. But um, I want you to talk a little bit about this uh, idea of. Why, you know, the, the, the male cook in particular is interesting to me because if yeah, you look yeah. demographically, yeah. Uh, who oftentimes makes decisions in the kitchen, oftentimes it's, uh, it's the female demographic, right? So, right, right. Uh, But when you start to talk about technology um, and the kitchen, you get a higher percentage of males that are interested. So I, I think you probably get some thought about this. Is yeah, Subi a lot of thought maybe, about it. Is Subi bringing in uh, kind of the, the male cooks or maybe bringing the male in the household into the kitchen in a way that hasn't happened before? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a super interesting trend, right? Like, the the trend that we like to talk about is that the kitchen is a new tool shed, right? Uh, and I think that, that uh, 
you know, for a lot of men, they're not, you know, they're not tinkering on the on the weekend in, in a tool shed like like kind of we used to. And you know, the kitchen is the place where we're doing a lot of experimentation. Um, we've noticed like this tremendous upswing in millennials adopting our product, right? Uh, and there's a lot of research that's being done around millennials and food and and sort of their interest in, in creating culinary experiences. Uh, we certainly think that's an interesting and important trend for us, that male millennials are, uh, are sort of dominating the, the kitchen uh, in a way. Uh, and, you know, we also have the 35 to 44 demographic, uh, which, you know, is, is sort of like this male that wants to provide for their family. So is it a different, that demographic, the older demographic, is, are they reacting, are there different needs they're trying to serve versus the, the kind of that... The, the millennial male. Yeah, yeah. Selling. I think a lot. I think it's experimentation versus providing for your family. Okay. Right. Uh, and and I think you know what, when we talk to millennials, I think they want to they want to experiment. They want to try things that are new, and they want to have uh, you know these great new, unique uh, sort of adventures, if you will. Right. Um, for the older demographic, I think they're you know they're very much interested in just creating a great experience for people that they love. Um, and so so there's a you know, and, and I'm sure there's bleed like it's it's you know it bleeds, it's, these are always yeah, uh, yeah. generalizations, but uh, I you know I think it says something about us about society actually like the fact that men are are such early adopters and big adopters of, of this type. But also, type there's of the science the science of cooking has become a big thing, right? So you guys work with Kenji, obviously. Yeah, uh, I think he writes for you guys occasionally. You know, I think in a modern in a big way, kind of what kicked off this modern interest is the modernist cuisine was a pretty seminal work. Um, we had Chris, at the, you know, talk a little bit yeah, at, yeah. Uh, at our summit. So, is this an intersection of science knowledge around food and cooking, feeding? This, uh, because people can take parameters around heating and and how, how you know how thick the cake the, the steak is, how thick it is. Um, is this something that's feeding it as well? Yeah, I certainly think so. I think uh, I think the uh, you know it's it's it seems to be new this idea that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, food and is really about science, or at least uh, in part about science. And I think uh, it started. You know, it's fun to kind of watch the evolution, the history of this movement. And uh, a lot of people may not know know this, but you can track it. Like eGullet, for example, was one of. If you go to eGullet.com, you can track. In 2004, a guy named Nathan Mirvold uh, posted something saying, "Hey, I'm interested in this thing called sous vide that I." that I found out about in Europe. Uh, does anybody know anything about this, right? So that was kind of a, a little bit of a Big Bang moment, you think? Uh, well, it, and Based then it was the, like these, you know, these, so anyways, these people like corresponding over the course of years, beginning in 2004, and it still goes on today, where people were really defining what this thing is. Yeah. And it and it certainly had its basis in science, right? And so people like Douglas Baldwin and, uh, and you know, you know, chefs that, that you probably know, all participated in this forum in sort of defining what this new movement would be, right? This is before modernist cuisine, before yeah, yeah. a lot of this, uh, a lot of this stuff. And so I think, I think it was, it was, it's, it's super interesting to think about how, you know, we've cooked for thousands of years over fire, and all of a sudden, you know, there's this sort of like this light bulb goes off, and people start thinking about food with it, with, you know, with respect to science and technology, and how can we. How can we use physics to do this better, yeah, yeah. right? It's like the money ball of, like, society, right? Like, everyone's yeah. realizing you can quantify everything in a way, apply data analytics to everything. Time and temperature is the new sabermetrics. Right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, let's talk quickly. Uh, 
before we wrap up with you about just CES. I've noticed, you know, last year I was looking and there was some kitchen stuff. This year seems like it's starting to explode and we're kind of on the maybe the yeah. precipice of an yeah. upswing. Um, have you noticed a lot? I mean, and this includes big guys. I mean, if, if you step mm-hmm. back more broadly on the connected kitchen, Whirlpool had some big news integrating with Dash. Um, Samsung had their smart refrigerator announcement. Uh, in it was a big company. You know, they kind of had a, some announcements. They're partnering with Perch. Yeah. So there's just no shortage of news around smart kitchen. Yeah. Are you noticing also a similar upswing? Yeah, yeah. We we, we do think about it differently though. I think um, you know the smart home is because is, is a lot about convenience, sure. and I think. Um, it's an interesting use case, but I think it's a lot less powerful uh, than uh, use cases around, like, sort of engagement and entertainment. And I think, um, you know, the living room is, is a good analogy to, you know, for us, the smart kitchen, because we think that food and food prep is such a rich experience that you can, you know, you can create these use cases that, uh, you know, that, that certainly provide for amazing recipes, amazing engagement and education. And there's so much that we can do to help improve somebody's life. Um, so uh, I'm obviously biased, but I think the smart kitchen is the uh, is the most important part of the connected home movement. Uh, and I think it's one that you know has the potential to spark a mini revolution and change lives. Actually, one last question I want to ask you because this is a question I asked uh, another smart home company. They're actually a service provider, pretty big in the smart home space. They yeah. manage smart home. Yeah. And they had a little house demo with the kitchen. I said. You know, when are, because they knew I had a, the smart kitchen summit, and I said, when are you guys going to start integrating with the kitchen? And when does that make sense? Because you guys provide security services, you have home automation. But I think, it, is it interesting? And they, they were very excited, and they've expressed interest in, like, yeah, we think at some point it makes sense to kind of connect the kitchen and what these devices are doing. Have you had any conversations? Have you seen any interest from kind of the more broad smart home providers to integrate with what you guys Oh, yes, yeah, certainly. I think, um, uh, and, and there are a lot of interesting integrations. I mean, I think, uh, you know, one of the most interesting products, I think, for me is uh, obviously Amazon Echo, I think, is something that uh, a lot of people are talking about. And, and uh, you know, a lot of it is because of sort of the potential for sort of screenless technology to take hold. And I think that, like, that's an interesting trend for the smart home, right? I think. To think that, like, we spend so much of our, of our time sort of interacting with screens. Our hands are always covered with meat, too. So yeah, like, so <laughs> meat hands, like, yeah. that's that's the problem the that we're solving. Better, yeah. The voice is better. It's the, just, uh, it's all comes down to meat Some hands. product manager at Amazon was like, what do we do about meat hands? Let's, uh, let's <laughs> invent the Echo. And then the Echo is born. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks, Steve, for spending time. Uh, I had my own little mini Savasian invasion. And, again, <laughs> Steve, you're the CEO of Anova. We're here at the Anova booth, so I want to thank you guys for having me here. Yeah, great. thanks for being here. Right. So we're going to welcome Philip Robb from Beta, who is, if you guys you guys have heard me talk about Beta, I actually talked with Philip a little bit, a, a, a couple podcasts ago. So welcome to the Smart Home Show. Thanks, Michael. How many CSs have you been to? Uh, I think it's my third or fourth, maybe. You're a little bit younger looking than me. Yeah. I have 18. <laughs> I have a lot more gray hair than you. So. I was in the gaming industry for a few years. Okay, so so it was more E3. So we, we were and, talking yeah, about yeah. E3. Yeah, you yeah, 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 to yeah, that. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, you know. We talked about beta before, so we don't know have to go too in depth. But I want to hear a little bit about how uh, your concept of retail uh, is maybe getting a reception here. Because I, when I talk to people, I think a lot of people in the smart home space, connected device space, yeah. we sort of aware of what you're doing already. But that's pretty fast, I think, because you guys just launched. So what are you yeah. hearing? Are people are people intrigued by you calling you for meetings? Yeah, it's it's been fascinating. Um, the 
oddly enough, that one of the biggest responses we're getting are from retailers themselves. Interesting. Like, wondering, like, what we're doing. Um, you know, I've run into the teams from uh, Best Buy today, ran into the teams from Target last night. Uh, you know, we've been working with, uh, you know, we've had uh, Dixon's in the, uh, where, they were, UK? In, yep. yeah, in, they were in beta the other day, and um, and a lot of the French retailers and stuff. So we're seeing a lot of retailers coming in because they're hearing about us and, they're, and they, they find it fascinating. And they also don't know what they're doing in yeah. a way when it comes to retail yeah. or, or at least know when it comes to IoT and how yes. to sell it. They're exactly. trying to figure that out. Right. So the, the, I'm glad you brought that up because it's um, relevancy is, is right now one of the biggest things that I'm finding. And everyone, everyone I talk to is like, well, well you, need to, well, you need to show the, the connections and the connectivity of how this product works with that product. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, that's absolutely the last thing you need to be doing because you're talking to consumers who have don't even have any connected devices in their homes, right? I mean, there's still such, still such a low percentage of individuals that have them. So it's like you need to talk to them and tell them the relevancy of why they need one before yeah. you're even trying to tell them why they need ten of them. Right. And, and that's where I think a lot of people just don't where they're missing the boat is they want to start telling this story that's so far down the line and it's like no people shop products they don't shop solutions right and that's where I think a lot of the retailers are really missing it um, and that's why one of the things I think we're trying to do in beta is, is and one of the one of the challenges I think for us uh, the established retailers is they are I was talking to a retailer today. I said, you're, you're stuck with the cards that have been dealt you in yep. a lot of ways. So yep. they're trying to figure out how to sell connected products uh, and some of these categories. They think have a lot of promise, but they're, you know, they're maybe not flying off the shelves yet. Yep. But, but when you have a storefront with a certain format and you're just kind of the, the little skunk works project, yep. it's hard to kind of reshift and, and create experiential retail. So, yep. I mean, I would imagine that's like the biggest thing they're struggling with. Right. Because it's, again, because they, they look at a product and they only see dollars and cents, right? Yep. We've said, let's take that out of the mix. Let's take that margin structure out, and let's look at things purely from a subscription so that the products themselves, if you are only one product, you can come in and we can tell the story about your product. And it's not as predicated on sales. It's predicated on the experience and the education. I mean, you know, we were, we've were we been looking at the data behind the, the shopper experience, and we're not a huge showroom in space, but the, the average dwell time and the individuals that are coming in and spending over half an hour in our store is exceptionally high because again people are craving the education and the knowledge and they just want to come in and truly experience the products firsthand and they're and they're willing to stay and spend time in our stores which is fascinating and you just mentioned some analytics or some data points that i would think would come from your analytics and i think one of the things you guys offer uh, because you are all about market validation, in my, in my opinion, you're about trying to figure out whether or not a product, there's a valid market for a product. Yeah. You're providing really rich analytics around that. So um, when you have some of these established retailers coming in, is this one of the things they're honing you on? Because I would imagine in-store analytics and engagement analytics is something that, and then validating these products is something they're really interested in. They are, um, but I still don't think that they know what to do with the data. You know, I mean, they collect the data, but that then they don't they're not. They're, well, they're, one, they're not sharing it with the the makers, which is a mistake. Um, and two, I think once they have it, I don't necessarily know if they know what to do with it. In the sense of how, how do you how do you interpret the data? What's the next steps? Is it a marketing tool? Is it a sales tool? Like, um, and I think that's where you know we we say like let the data 
be open and transparent, sure. share it with the makers, and let them make the decisions of how valuable you know, this information is. So you're here at CES, and uh, a lot of these companies that are on your show or in your retail store shelves are here. When you, coming as a representative of your new company, are you out scouting for products, or are you out just having meetings? Have kind of what has your been approached? Your first year, your company just rolled yeah. out. What's your approach for CES? Um, there, there's a discovery. I mean, there's a lot of unique, you know, products here. Um, it's you know, we're not here to have you know have meetings with all of our maker partners. I mean, we can we can do that at any time. Yeah. You know, for us, it's more about you know, seeing where there's there's trends that are happening. Um, it's about connecting with new companies. Um, you know, it's, it's good. It's nice to say hi to old friends, you yeah, know. Yeah. But but at the same time, um, I think we're here more in kind of an exploration mode, um, and you know, some awareness. I mean, I've been on a couple of panels and doing things, you know, trying to build the the beta brand. I mean, obviously, as the head of marketing, I mean, that's you know, it's part of my responsibility. But um, you know, for us, it's again just being it's, it's curiosity. And you know, when I look at beta, you have. What are your four, four or five categories? You have uh, home, home, um, play, move, and sense. First of all, is there any coming here and looking around? Are there any new categories you think you forgot about? Um, well, I think one. I think a couple of the areas where you know we think we want to build out more. Um, you know, as we sit here, you know, in kind of the Innovo booth, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, definitely the you know, connected kitchen space is one where, you know, we think that within home, um, there's a big opportunity there and we're seeing a lot of interest. Um, I think within Sense, um, obviously VR has been pretty popular and Oculus has been getting a, a lot of attention, you know, this week. And so yep. we see um, you know, opportunities to kind of build out the VR space. We've seen a really strong reaction um, in store for uh, Google Cardboard and sure. people really just wanting to kind of get their hands-on kind of a, um, that product. Um, I would say health and wellness is another big sure. area, and we think that, again, that can fit within our sense kind of yeah. space. So I don't see us adding a new category, but it's there's a lot yeah. of subcategories, I think, where we want to... You know, yeah, I would agree. Focus, yeah. Uh, That's always yeah. a challenge as an analyst. It's like, yeah. how do you categorize them? Because you categorize it a, a million, through a million different, million different lenses. Yeah. But home in particular to me seems just like... I've started to look at it almost by room in a sense, or kind of by behavior, because mm-hmm. um, there's so many, there's literally yep. tens or dozens of use cases within a home, or, yep. or, or things you're doing in your life in a home, yeah. that the product's coming to. So cooking's a good one, um, elder care is an obvious one, but yeah, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily want an elder care, maybe you would. Yeah. Um, so with the broader umbrella of home, do you ever see that kind of evolving into a separate, or do you think you just fit subcategories under that? Um, I think we're going to take a wait and see approach. I sure. mean, like you said, I think home is probably, it's really funny saying it, but it's the most mature of all of the uh, categories. Um, in and the there's different from, levels, different things yeah. in that that have different levels of maturity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you look at Nest products. I mean, there's products that have been in the marketplace, you know, you call it mature, but it, they've been around for four years now, yeah. right? Um, and then, you know, lighting is another one. But, you know, what we see, it's, it's again, I think it's going to vary by market, right? It's going to vary by demographic. So for Palo Alto, you know, where... Uh, you know, our first beta location is you have a lot of homeowners, a lot of individuals with, you know, like discretionary, like, income. And so, you know, to them, their focus tends to be more around the security and the comfort and convenience products within the home. And so I think it's just as we, you know, start to you know, look at kind of scale and things like that, I think that each market is going to have a unique kind of customer base and the home is going to take a level of importance. And again, like it comes back to its relevancy to the end user, and that's ultimately, I think, you know, what we have to uh, be focused on. Any 
big surprises or anything you learned at CES so far? Or just kind of, you had nothing um, <laughs> No, I, I'd say the biggest learning that, I, that, I, that again, as a takeaway, um, is I'm just continually shocked of, I'm going to say, how, how do you say this nicely, of just how clueless <laughs> some of the companies are still um, of really being missing the boat on trying to connect with the consumer. They're doing things based on what they want to do and they're not listening to the end user. And I think that's why there's so many amazing products and great companies that understand that there's problems to be solved, but then there's a lot of other companies that are doing things, I think, to appease you know, their executives and their shareholders and not necessarily listening to the problems that consumers have. And I think that that's one of the things, the takeaways that I continue to see as, as I walk around here. Last question: What's your any uh, big predictions of uh, maybe kind of the fastest growing categories or most interesting categories for IOT, consumer IoT yeah. for this coming year? Any, any two or three you see are interesting? Um, yeah, I mean, there's. I think I think 2016 is going to be a, a dynamic year. I think for the IoT space, um, I think you're going to see where it hit, starts to hit scale in certain areas. Um, I do think you know to some extent, home is going to continue to. Uh, you'll see more, and I think we talked about this during our last chat, it's, it's going to go away from, it's going to go to that early kind of mass you right. know, consumer and, and, and get away from, I think we need to start to step outside of the early adopter. It's going to go into that early mass category. So home's going to be um, one where you'll see that. But, you know, uh, I think there's going to be interesting innovation uh, that will continue to be driven out of like some of the other categories we talked about. Um, and even like kind of the sensory type of you know products, we're seeing a lot of a lot of unique things you know, coming out of that space beyond just kind of wearables. You guys have three D printing in your in your store? Not yet. Okay, is that an area you guys see as a growth category for you? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some unique things out there. But again, what we've talked about is like, do you just have the end product, or do you actually have to bring in the three D printing to be able to do that? Right, and right. Um, I think you know uh, it's one of the things we've talked about, um, but at the same time, you know it's. It has to be accessible. Hey, well, Philip, I want to thank you for stopping by the Smart Home Show here yeah. at CS and talking a little bit about beta, and I uh, hope you had a good rest of the show. Yeah, Mike, it's a right, pleasure, a and uh, thanks for chatting again, and uh, look forward to it. All right, have a good one. All right, thank you. Bye. Hey, next on, I want to welcome Peter Taylor, who is the head of product for Belkin, to get an update. And uh, Peter, you were uh, one of the, I think, the highlights at the Smart Kitchen Summit. A lot of people enjoyed what you had to say on stage. Uh, I think you had some good insights. And I think since I've uh, talked to you here, you've had some other good insights. So I'm putting a lot of pressure on. I'm building, I'm building you up really high here. <laughs> thank, thank, you. What, thank you for coming to the Smart Home Show. No worries. Thank you for inviting us on. We really appreciate it. Um, and you, very quickly for people who don't know, again, you're, you're the head of product for Belkin Wemo in particular. Yep. So I run the Wemo business unit, and we have a uh, around a million and a half products in the world in over 150 different countries. And we see 20 million data points a day for how people use our stuff. So we understand a bit about smart home. Not a lot. We understand a little bit about smart home. Um, and so I'm really excited to be here talking to you. So I want to get an update and give people an update on Belkin Wemo and kind of where we are uh, with the show. Because you guys have had a few things we talked about. Uh, you had a, a few pieces of news. So um, what I got from our conversation we had yesterday is you guys are really focusing in on switches. Like that's kind of becoming the major theme for Belkin Wemo. So talk a little bit about, you know, how maybe things have shifted a little bit with Wemo. Sure. So uh, we've got around 18 products on our platform that range from slow cookers to heaters, purifiers, light bulbs, 
and smart plugs. And what we've seen from that is a gigantic amount of behavioral patterns that are predictable and repeatable with smart plugs and light switches. And those repeatable patterns show us the modes of usage for something as simple as an on-off smart plug. When you've got those patterns and they're highly repeatable, what that says to you is, well, if the early adopters that have bought this stuff so far are using it in these only three or four different ways, we can tell those stories to the mass market and they can reap the value of a smart plug in a very simple, easy-to-consume way. So really it allows us to describe it very succinctly, not, hey, here are 10 features of a smart plug, here are all the things you can do with it, but here's what a smart plug can do for you. And it might even be uh, two or three of our behavioral patterns are actually for female non-techs. And it's a really compelling value at $39.99 for them to buy a smart plug. We're not selling it as a smart plug. We're selling it as a solution to a challenge or a problem they have in their life. When I look at the evolution of Belkin Wemo over the past five years, you guys, up to maybe last year, last CES, you guys were kind of expanding the universe a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think two years ago you announced your, your Jardin partnership. You did the Wemo Crockpot. Yeah. And last year you had uh, you had your light bulbs you, you right. rolled out with some partners. Yeah. But now you're, you're saying you're kind of getting back to your back to your knitting a little bit, and you're going to focus in on plugs and switches. Yep. So that's a little bit of a change, but you're not necessarily abandoning those other products. That's exactly correct. We'll continue to support all the products we've built, but we want to zoom in on helping the mass market get into smart home, help the mass market enjoy some of the benefits and features of smart products, because now we can tell them why they should be interested. And if we have too many things to describe, we either don't go deep enough and understand it enough, or we can't be clear enough to the consumer when they're considering all of the options in front of them, why they should care. So it just gives us some oxygen, some clarity, some focus. And, and candidly, we started out this game uh, launched in 2012. Uh, we were one of the first platforms, and we are still one of the broadest platforms in terms of geography and products. But all that diversity brings with it complexity, and we need to simplify to get to that consumer in a really clear, powerful way. Real quickly, just some data points you can give in terms of like how broad your reach is in terms of nodes out there or households. Yeah. I think you maybe alluded to some, but can, I, can you give us some kind of how yeah. big the universe is? Yeah, so this last year we doubled our household count. We're now over 800,000 households. Okay. Um, we see 20 million data points a day, which just helps us to map these patterns of behavior and understand how to talk about this stuff. And the diversity of, of countries is kind of important because... Uh, you need to understand a wide range of household types. And that your household might be like a military regime, my household might be quite chaotic. Those two households might have different use cases or different ways of using a simple thing like a smart plug. And we need to be able to talk both those languages. So we, we feel that the diversity of over 150 countries isn't really about geography. It's really about different types of habit and different household uh, protocols, if I can use that word. You know, one of the things I've noticed with Wemo is you guys have started to embrace, and I don't think you didn't want to work with other companies, but you've really embraced working uh, with companies. And you, you, like many have announced, or you've, you've done an Amazon Echo uh, integration. Yep. Uh, you've also been work, doing Nest integrations as well. So uh, talk about, do you guys want to work with as many of these different kind of uh, hero brands, if you will, uh, within the smart home? Uh, do you see think with more is better versus just kind of being independent so we're not not quite we we want to work with brands and products where the consumer use case the consumer benefit the consumer reason to care is extremely clear 
Like it's not, you don't have to do any thinking about why would this product and that product need to work together. Um, and, and we also want to work with brands where they're clearly a success in our category. Our category has got a lot of people joining and only a few people getting to a point of real success. And so we might judge that as a million units or we might judge that as a very, very compelling proposition like the Amazon Echo was where out of the gate that was clearly going to be a winner. So we integrated very fast. So we'll do very selective with big brands that are, have got a great use case where integration brings a clear, really clear benefit to the user. So I want to step back and talk a little bit about uh, the show. Um, you have probably been to a few CESs, and yeah. I, I've noticed this year um, that the smart home category has probably grown bigger than ever yeah. uh, here at the Sands. The Sands seems like the place to be. So any interesting things you're noticing, anything that gets you excited? I mean, if you've had a chance, to walk the floor at all? I can, but we haven't had a chance to walk okay. the floor enough yet because we've been uh, talking to customers from around the world. But from what I've read and from what I hear, it, I'm really excited to see use cases coming more to the front uh, in our category. I'm really excited to see some of the technologies that started out as just one company piloting a technology to three or four brands trying different ways to connect with users. Because that's, I think, the major challenge here. The technology hasn't really changed so much in the last three to five years. It's got cheaper, but it hasn't changed so much. But the way we're trying to introduce the consumer is getting better and better and better. And different brands are doing that in different ways, and that will help the, the whole industry to grow, which I think is awesome. One of the things I've seen, and it's more just kind of reading between the lines, is uh, I feel like smart technology in and of itself has gotten pretty easy to figure out. You had a lot of smart engineers and uh, at these companies who can make connected products, but I think where the rubber meets the road uh, and where things get difficult is business model innovation. Instead of just selling products with a certain margin and over time trying to compete and kind of divide, divvy up that pie among 100 light bulb manufacturers, it's like, okay, how can we do something interesting and get a recurring revenue stream or... It's really about the business innovation rather than the product innovation, or at least the, uh, the technology innovation. Right, and things like DRS, Amazon DRS, really changed the game when it comes to selling a, a pet feeder appliance that was a $100 purchase. Now, if you're getting that and it's got DRS in it, you're making a three to $5,000 decision about where you buy a lifetime of pet food for a dog. So the business models are being disrupted by that auto-replenishment every minute. We, we also think that the premium services element of cameras we're seeing already, that justifies a healthy premium. We've got that in our business. Very, very healthy for us. Um, and people are prepared to pay that additional extra if they've got some clear sight of it being special. And, and we started out wanting no subscriptions to make it easy for people to try uh, and to just approach and give it a go. And we'll try and stick by that principle largely. When we get super premium services where consumers get a lot more back, we, we, we would consider other business models in the future. Uh, nothing to announce, uh, sure. but we'll, we'll think about it. It's definitely something to ponder in the space. And you mentioned you're glad how use cases are coming to the forefront. And I, I tend to agree. I think that um, we've moved away from the scenario where people are just putting four sensors in a hub in a box. Yeah. Least, and and, and, a, and a sending it off with a prayer. I mean, the companies right. are still doing that. Right. Um, but I also think the smarter companies are saying, hey, let's tailor products around specific lifestyles yeah. um, or specific needs. And obviously the most kind of the poster child for that the last couple of years has been security. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's other ones coming to the fore. Do you see any other use cases uh, or kind of lifestyle needs where you can fit smart technology and sell this product? Um, 
can you rephrase the question? So I'm not. Let me wait. Well, me. so like security, like you just package something in. With yeah. The security foot is what comes out first, yeah. right? And your, your first foot, first foot forward with a smart security product is making yourself safer. Right. If it's an elder care product, you say, okay, let, let you be able to kind of make sure you're safe and your your loved ones are safe. Yeah. If you know they're. If you need to monitor them, or children or pets, there's. Got it, got I've it. noticed a few pet kind of specific smart home products yeah. that are around, kind of making sure your pet stays at home and it's and safe. Yeah. So I feel like that's kind of the way people are starting to say we need to package things. Yeah. Okay, are you noticing okay. any, any yeah. other kind of specific use cases like that? Yeah. So we think that simplifying your life somehow by taking away chores and, and things you have to remember is massive, and forgetfulness actually. You could relabel it as convenience, but forgetfulness is a persistent worry. If you can take away someone's forgetfulness concerns by taking care of a few things for them, you can bundle up a package as convenience or uh, forget-me-not is a nice a nice tag we've used a few times. We also like the softer reassurance uh, message, which is security, but just to reassure yourself that the person who last left the house, remember to turn off the heater or turn on the, the lamp or turn down the fan or put the air conditioning on this setting. And that reassurance is just checking in on status. So it's the softer version of security. So those two would be ones that jump out to us. Um, to your point about sensors, it's really interesting because the, the use case of walking in a room and my lights turn on is really compelling. But then you sit there for more than three or four minutes and the lights go out. And it's very, very hard for a motion sensor on its own to deliver against the promise of what the human intent is. It's hard to predict intent without more context. And so we're, we're very cognizant and want the whole industry to be cognizant that we should not overpromise what automation can deliver in taking away these concerns and looking after things for you. So it's convenient to have your lights turn on when you're in a room, but it's hard to promise that without also promising we'll keep them on for, you, for the right sure. amount of time. And that can break consumers' perception of our space if you're not careful there. So we had that little bit of caution about let's only promise what we can really robustly, concretely deliver. But also, you know, let me rephrase it. I think um, one of the issues for the industry is, like, people beyond, like, the early adopter crowd get intimidated by connected products in a lot of, a lot of ways. And so yeah. is it... Um, you as really kind of as a product marketer, you think a lot about how you kind of get consumers to buy your product in bigger numbers. Yeah. Is it about... Giving room rid of that fear factor, having them feel comfortable about buying a product, bringing it home, installing it, without being an IT manager. I mean, is that right. like one of your biggest challenges? For sure, it is. Uh, the fear of setup, the fear of will it will it work, and actually just understanding why to care in the first place. And that will come from associating our product with things it controls, like a smart plug associating with a hair straightener brings a use case out immediately. Um, when you when you look at the mass consumer, they have got some unknowns and some concerns here. So we can reassure that with simpler packaging, clearer branding, uh, more attractive colors, just less words on the pack, just simplifying the whole thing down. And that's really where the industry's at, I believe, a very important turning point to simplify the proposition a lot, make it easier for folks to, to join, have a try, and have a go. So, Peter, I want to ask you, have you actually tried to... Uh, and I'm going to give a little free promo to, to our hosts here because uh, they they're letting me use their space. Have you, have you tried a sous vide cooker yet? Have you... I have tried a sous vide cooker, and I'm incredibly impressed by the taste sensation of the food that comes out of it. I was blown away. So the, the feel in my mouth was just Steve, Steve is going to send you the check after this. Says, 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 yeah, says, <laughs> Steve owes me a bit. There you go. I, lo- I love it. I really love it. So um, I feel like you are working with a lot of different products. Um, you obviously are in the kitchen with the Wemo partnership, but because you're becoming this kind of utility knife 
hub that works with a lot of different devices. Do you see Kitchen in particular as like an interesting area? Um, even like a sous vide cooker, where you guys would want to work with more in terms of like connecting smart kitchen products? Yeah, so we think the Kitchen's one of these amazing places where your hands and eyes are busy. Uh, maybe systems can take care of things for you more. So we see it as a big opportunity space. But I uh, was just saying to Steve earlier, we, we would love to find the magic compelling use case where smart plugs and switches that we're focused on could bring some massively compelling, blindingly obvious kind of punch you in the face mass market consumer value for integrating out to products. Because we love sous vide, we love switches, but at the moment we haven't how got that right in front of us. Steve, how do you bring those two together? Well, the, I mean, the honest answer is, like, we don't know. And I think Peter and I have talked about it at length. Uh, how can we best work together? I think uh, there probably is something that will punch us both in the face. Um, I think I'm going to get a T-shirt, and it's, it's going to be a Peter, <laughs> Peter Taylor shoot, Taylor's T-shirt that says, the product has to punch you in the face, because that's your, that's your, that's your go-to saying. Right. I love that. Like, marketing's <laughs> got to be clear. We can't kid ourselves, right? right. I, I say it as a joke, but to create some, some uh, punctuation in a long sentence... Yeah. It's yeah. got to be so clear because people aren't going out hunting for this stuff unless you tell them really clearly why. And uh, so we, can, the, we can think about it too much. One of the things I love about Peter and talking to Peter is, is uh, just the absolute sort of, I don't want to say ruthless, but just sort of like the uh, absolute focus on what's most important and, and just glaringly obvious use cases. Uh, and I think I think that's sort of what he brings to, to, to his products and, and you know, that's something that, that we try to do as well. Um, you know, for us, we do look at it like it's an ecosystem. I think, I think uh, you know, if there's anything that can sort of enhance the lifestyle and make it easier for customer, sorry, for customers to come home to the best meal ever, I think that's uh, that's compelling to us. But outside of that, it's sort of uh, it's not our core focus. Right? There, there is a broader kind of comfort or um, kitchen happiness in the kitchen story we can tell. Right? A much broader story there where the lighting is right for the moment of when your dinner becomes ready. While your dinner is not ready, your lighting is aware that you don't need the kitchen to be ready yet. Mm. And, and there's the broader story of the temperature being right, the air being right, the lights being right, and all the other appliances that you may use for preparing mm. your dinner that may include ah. rice cookers and those kind of things that need power, yeah. uh, where we could maybe think about how uh, the experiences could dovetail a little more. Yeah. There's, there's some yeah, so I, I think there. that, you know, yeah, coming home to the best meal ever, I think certainly... If there's a way to integrate so that you come home and your rice is done, and your, your protein is done, your vegetables are done, and it's simply just take it out and you serve it, right? Then that's really compelling because that that enhances the overall experience. So, um, so that's great. I think it's more than more than just meat hands, right? It's uh, it actually uh, it's a bit of an inside joke, the meat hands joke, but I think uh, <laughs> um, you know that certainly uh, that certainly does lead to a better overall experience, and I think it's about the lifestyle, right? Like. I think I think the both you know both companies look at I think sort of like the smart home is an opportunity to live a lifestyle, and so uh, for us it's very much focused on the kitchen and the lifestyle is I want to consistently have restaurant like food I think you know this lifestyle associated with with Belkin and Wemo products as well. Hey, well Peter, thanks for being a guest. Steve, thanks for welcoming us here at the booth yeah, for recording the show. All right, thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Thanks. All right, guys. All right. Thanks, Michael.